Good morning, everyone. Hey, so I'm just convinced, Hannon, that every time you do the welcome, there's a church somewhere that has the website, takethejourney.com, who's praying for more offering money. Because every time you say, I just tell Danielle, there's a church named Journey somewhere who's going to get some of our offering, and they must need it. They must need it today, because Hannon refuses to give the right website. And Phil, (laughs) Phil, you look great on the screen. I know you hated every minute of that, and even now that I'm mentioning you publicly, um, thank you. Man, isn't it great to be at a church where your elders can get up and teach the Word of God to people like Phil? I'm just so grateful to pastor at a church where we have people like you helping lead the ministry that, uh, that we do. Uh, Matthew chapter 11 is where we're going to be in our Bible study time today. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew 11, grab your notes out of your bulletin, maybe fire up your journey app. Uh, If you're brand new to church, brand new to journey, you didn't bring a Bible, we planned for you to be here. Everything I read from scripture will be on the screen, so it'll be really simple to follow along. If we can help you get a Bible or download the Bible app so that it's easier to follow along in church, just let us know. Go to our Connection Center after church, and we would love to kind of help you engage in that. While you're moving to Matthew chapter 11, let me remind you about April 3rd. Pretty big Sunday, April 3rd. One, this service moves from 845 to 830 which is really good because I've thought it was eight. I've thought it was eight thirty the whole time. Anyway, like we have an eight forty-five and ten thirty, and I think I've thought our services were eight thirty and ten forty-five for like the past six weeks. So it'll be good to at least say the same thing: eight thirty, ten thirty. Those of you with elementary school age children, please continue to come to the early service. One of the reasons we're moving our service times is our kids' ministry is filling up. In between services, they just need a little more time to check kids in and out. So um, April 3, please come at 8.30, not 8.45. For those of you who are usually 15 minutes late, just plan to come at 8.15. You'll be right on time for the 8.30 a.m. service. Um, and remember, we're also having our Inspire event. Um, as a church grows, when a church grows, when a church like ours moves into a bigger auditorium, really the only way for the church to be the church is to gather outside of Sunday morning. Because Sunday mornings are kind of big crowds, they're fast, they're busy. For the church to be the church, you've got to get out of rows and you've got to get into circles. And this is one of the ways that like, our volunteers come together to be at church without having to have church. We'll have extended prayer. We'll have a really special time of communion that night. Um, and we'll just kind of talk about what's coming up in the next few kind of months at Journey as we move into the summer and into the spring. So if you're a volunteer, join us. We're going to have, I think, what will probably be the best church service at Journey that night, April 3 at 5 p.m. So come and be a part of that. We'd love to have you. We're entering the final four weeks of one of my favorite sermon series that we've ever done at Journey. It's a series that we've called Jesus People in Matthew chapter 9, 10, and 11. And here's the purpose of this series. We wanted to help you, if you're a follower of Jesus, come to a full realization of what it means not just to follow Jesus, but to live on mission for Jesus. That's been the point and the purpose of this series. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, first, we're really glad that you're with us. I hope this series has taught you what Christians should believe, how Christians should act, how Christians should live their life, because this series has been about learning to follow Jesus well. We spent 30 weeks in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and we fell in love with the teaching and the direction and the mindset of Jesus. As we began to follow him in Matthew chapter 8, he taught us how to develop a strong faith that would help us overcome difficult things in life. And as we began to just live life with Jesus, 
watching life through the lens of a Jesus follower has helped us realize some things that have changed our life. We've had eight so far. I'm going to throw them up on the screen so we can just review them briefly. Here's where we've been in the past 11 weeks. Spiritual realization number one is Jesus followers. We've realized that our greatest purpose and our greatest needs are spiritual. We've realized that our greatest priority has to be time with Jesus if our soul is to stay full. We've realized that our eyes are meant to see Jesus and our mouth is meant to talk about him. We've realized that it takes all of us to accomplish the mission of Jesus, not just one or two, not just a preacher on a stage or somebody with a guitar singing, but it takes all of us to do what Jesus has called us to do in this community. Head to the next slide. We've realized that it won't be easy to live on mission for Jesus, but we go anyway. We're rejected by some. Some who hate Jesus will dislike us because we're for Jesus. We realize doubt is real. Doubt's okay. Doubt actually deepens your faith if you take your doubt and run to Jesus rather than from Jesus. And last week with uh, Marcellus, we learned that wisdom comes from repentance, constantly turning away from the way that we want to live our life and turning to the way that Jesus wants us to live our life. And as we've kind of come through those eight realizations, we've come to the final one now that we're going to spend four weeks on. Because I think it's so critically important in this season of life in our culture where we're living. And we're going to spend the next four weeks in kind of a mini-series called Revealed for Rest. Because of everything that we've learned about Jesus, we get to the grand finale of the ministry of Jesus. And Jesus says, now that you realize this is what it looks like to follow me, here's what I want you to know. If you follow me, I am going to bring rest to your soul. So spiritual realization number nine, for those of you who are taking notes, is this, Jesus has been revealed to us for rest. Jesus has been revealed to you, and he's been revealed to me so that our souls can find rest. We're going to kind of wade our way slowly into the scripture today. We'll pray in just a minute. But as we get to the end of Matthew chapter 11, we kind of move into our next four weeks of ministry, and we hear Jesus say this in verse 25. It says, at that time, circle those words, we're going to come back to those three words. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned, and you've revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, circle that word yoke, we'll talk about it. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus said, I have been revealed to you so that you can live at rest in your souls. Jesus said, it says at that time. You say, what is, what is at that time? This was the time that was happening in the life of the disciples. They were leaving kind of their elementary training behind. Like their informal training as Jesus followers was over. And now the kingdom teaching and kingdom ministry were going to begin. We learned a lot about the teaching of Jesus, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We learned how to build faith with Jesus, Matthew chapter 8. In Matthew 9 and 10, they were kind of coached up on what it would look like to live for Jesus, and then they were sent out. Jesus was like, go do it. And they came back, and they were like, that was incredible. It was also incredibly hard, but it was incredible. And Jesus is like, okay, now you're ready. And at that time, he's like, we're going to start our kingdom ministry, and we're going to start our kingdom message. 
Now, you and I will jump together into that kingdom ministry and message this Sunday after Easter. We'll spend 17 weeks in Matthew chapter 13 through 18 in a series called The Kingdom because Jesus finishes his training with the disciples and he begins to launch the kingdom of God on earth. We'll learn about that, Matthew 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. It'll take us about four months to kind of wade through that one verse, one section of scripture at a time. But we're going to realize that what Jesus called his yoke, he basically said, my kingdom ministry and message can be described as a yoke. You say, what is a yoke? Like the yellow stuff in an egg? No. Um, a yoke, which we might know, a yoke was something that you would put on two animals who were moving together. But 2,000 years ago in ancient Israel, a yoke was what was known as a rabbi's way of life and their way to connect you to God, to help you live on mission for God, and to help you please God. Like the yoke of a rabbi. A rabbi was basically saying, let me put my arm around you, his yoke. And he was saying, if you will live my way of life, if we will walk together in this way of life, I will help you connect to God, live for God, be pleasing to God. So when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, Jesus is saying, if you will live my way of life, I will help you connect to God, live for God, be pleasing to God, and your soul will be at rest as you do it. He promises his yoke will be three things that we'll look at in the next four weeks. It will be something that provides rest. It will, bring something, it will be something that provides freedom. And it will be something that results in you having spiritual family. Jesus will say, do life my way. Because if you do life my way, I promise you, you're going to have rest. You're going to find freedom. And you will have spiritual family. Now, it's interesting that Jesus promises that. Because next week on our Royal Sunday, which is always a real fun Sunday celebrating, Slugger will be here and we celebrate kind of the kickoff of baseball season and we'll have a photo booth. It's a really easy Sunday to invite friends with children to because it's such a fun day at church. But I'll be interviewing Ryan Lefevre about his story of overcoming depression and anxiety and you're going you're gonna to hear him say that some of the things that helped him come out of depression and anxiety were learning to rest finding freedom from alcohol abuse, which he was masking his depression and anxiety with, and finding a spiritual family that would walk with him in life. You're going to hear him say, Jesus' formula worked for me. And if you're in here today and you're struggling with anxiety, you're struggling with depression, your life is anything but restful. You can't even sleep at night. Jesus' formula will work for you. Jesus wants to be a part of your life, not so you have more to do, but so that your soul can finally find rest and freedom, and so that your life can have spiritual family. So that's what we're going to try to look at today as we dig into what I call kind of a little, a brief Bible study in Matthew chapter 12. We're going to be pursuing the yoke of Jesus, the way of life he provides for us, and we're going to see first how it can provide rest for our souls as we dig in and follow him. Before we ever kind of jump into our main text of scripture, we always pray. So would you bow your heads here? And if you're watching online, take a deep breath to kind of settle your soul in this moment. And would you just ask Jesus to reveal himself to you today so that you might find rest? And would you pray for someone you know who's hurting, who needs rest? 
Would you pray that maybe next week they would come to church or tune in so they could hear a story about how Jesus' formula worked in the life of a real person in real time? God, thank you that Jesus has been revealed to give us rest. Help us to learn how to begin to lean into that rest as we study your word today. That's our prayer. And God, we ask it in Jesus' name today. And everyone said, amen. Amen. So as we jump into Matthew chapter 12, we're going to look at how Jesus provides rest. And here's what we're going to learn about Jesus' people. Number one, we're going to learn that Jesus' people rest towards Jesus. We rest in a posture that moves us towards Jesus. As we look at verses 1 through 9, we're going to hear Jesus say some confusing things until we put them in context. And we're going to think that makes a whole lot of sense to me spiritually. It says in Matthew 12, verse 1, we'll go through verse 8. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. Circle the word Sabbath. We'll talk about what that is in a minute. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did? When he and his companions were hungry, he entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which wasn't lawful for them to do, but only for the priest. Or haven't you read in the law that the priest on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what these words mean, that I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, a couple things to unpack there that help us understand that for a, G- for a Jesus follower, rest has to be pursuing Jesus. First, we've got to unpack this concept of Sabbath. What is the Sabbath? The Sabbath was the seventh day of the week in Israel. It was a day set aside to really honor God and to rest and show your trust in God. Because in six days, God created the heavens and the earth, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then on the seventh day, Saturday, he rested. So the people of Israel rested because their rest said two things to the world around them. One, we believe our God is creator God. We believe our God runs and rules the universe. And we trust him enough that every seventh day we live like he's in charge instead of we're in charge. That's what the Sabbath was. It was not just a day of rest. It was a day of trust. You can tell how much you trust God by how you rest and how you give. That's just the reality of spiritual life. You can tell how much you trust that God is truly in control by how much you're willing to rest and trust that God is going to take care of the day you're resting and by how much you give, trusting that everything you have, God gave to you and he'll give you more if you need more. You can always tell how much you trust God by how much you rest and by how much you give. So in Israel, on the seventh day, everything shuts down. Literally from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown, the country closes. I'll never forget my first time being in Israel. This was a problem for me. We'd been traveling around the western foothills of Israel, and we were driving up into the northwestern part of Israel, kind of along the Mediterranean Sea, and we were low on gas as it was getting dark on Friday evening. And the guy that I was there with, I was driving kind of a van full of our elders and some of our finance team members going to meet our ministry partners for the first time. He said, Christian, if we don't get gas before it's dark, we're going to run out of gas. And I said, why is that? And he said, because all of the gas stations will be closed. And we were like getting close to the orange. 
And I was like, well, okay, first, you should have told me that at noon, um, not like 4.30, but what, like, what are we going to do? As it got darker and we kept passing, and a lot of places in Israel will start closing around 1 or 2. They just go ahead and shut it down early. Since everything closes at sundown, they kind of at noon close up their shops. So we drove by gas station after gas station after gas station that was just closed, and I thought, holy cow, we didn't plan to camp in Israel, but like, we are going to suit coat this thing. Like, we are going to camp in our tents in the wilderness like the Israelites for 40 years. Like, what are we going to do? And he said, we're going to have to pray that some godless Arabs own a gas station and keep the gas station open. <laughs> and I said, help me understand why you say that. And he said, well, Israeli Arabs, because Israel is a country made up of both Palestinians and Israelis. He said, Israeli, most good Israeli Arabs will go ahead and honor the Sabbath because everyone else does. So they'll close their gas stations. And he said, most Muslims in Israel will kind of honor the holy experience of the country. He said, only the truly godless Arabs will keep their gas stations open. So we need to pray for some godless Arabs who own a gas station. I was like, and a pizza place, because we haven't had dinner yet either. <laughs> so we need to pray. And thankfully, we were able to find some godless Arabs in Haifa who kept their gas station open and another who owned a pizza joint. It was like, Lord, thank you. Evangelism next week, today, gas and pizza. Like, <laughs> everything shuts down. Everything shuts down in Israel, except people who are serving God. And that's what Jesus reminded the Pharisees of. He's like, remember when David and his men were on mission, like there were these policies set up in order to honor God that they violated because they were living on mission for God. So living on mission for God, you never rest from living on mission for God. And he said, even the priest technically violate the Sabbath rules because you're not allowed to light a fire on the Sabbath. Yet they have to light the altar morning and evening on the Sabbath. And he said, they do that so you can draw near to God. So he said, drawing near to God, being near to God, living on mission for God, like that never really takes a break. And as a matter of fact, you really only take a break in life so you can do that more. Like living for God, leaning into God, being close to God never takes a break. So if you really want to rest... You have to get closer to Jesus. And part of that is a mindset shift. Because Jesus said, you need to go learn what it means that I desire mercy and not sacrifice. See, this was a perspective that God desires mercy, not sacrifice. This was a perspective that helped people realize that their connection to God was really more dependent on him than on them. Because here's what the Pharisees that Jesus was talking to that day would have said. They would have said something like this. If we don't sacrifice, we won't get mercy. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. If God hadn't shown you mercy, you would never sacrifice. Like, you are not sacrificing so that mercy will be your reward. You are sacrificing as a response to the mercy God has already shown you. See, you've got it backwards. You think your relationship with God depends on what you do. What I want you to know is your relationship with God depends on what he has done. Because he showed you mercy in Egypt, because he showed you mercy at the Red Sea, because he showed you mercy at Sinai, because he showed you mercy, he said, your natural response is to lean into me. But you have made it so that people cannot lean into God anymore by the restrictions that you've put on them. And your perspective is that we have earned God's favor. 
rather than we've been given God's favor. He said, your whole perspective needs to shift because you think it's all about you when in reality, it's all about him. You don't sacrifice so you can get mercy. You sacrifice because you've been shown mercy. And some of you are in here and you've been carrying a heavy load because you think your relationship with God depends on you. It does not. It depends on him. And a reward of a life well lived is not that God loves you more. It's that you will love God more. So we have to have this perspective shift. And we have to realize that the Sabbath is not just about stopping. The Sabbath, according to what Jesus was saying here, is stopping everything else in life. So you can start the most important thing in life, spending time with Jesus. See, the disciples were with Jesus on the Sabbath, picking some grain in the fields and like, hey, you can't do that. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. The Sabbath was actually built for this very purpose, that you would hang out with me. So stop normal life so you can start your best life and you can actually hang out and spend time with me. As I was preparing this point in this Bible study a couple weeks ago, I got a text message from one of my friends at Journey who sent me a picture of a list that I've actually put um, in your bulletins this week. I wasn't intending on doing it until I got it, and I thought, I mean, this list goes so perfectly with this point. And it's a friend at Journey who has not only been through the last two years like us, which have been really difficult years, but add to those two years cancer, add to those two years surgery, add to those two years family tension, Add to those two years taking care of aging parents. Like, I'm not sure of those whose stories I personally know that anyone has had more in the last two years than the person who texted me this picture. And they texted me a picture of a list that I gave out at the end of 2019 for 2020. The list was titled 10 Commitments for 2020. And she said, I don't know how I could have made it through the last two years without doing these things. But man, when you make an effort to lean into Jesus, it's like you just keep getting through things. I would say this, there are some of you who can't make it through the two best years of life without leaning into Jesus, much less the two hardest years of life. What are those things? If you didn't grab a bulletin today, you can text the word journey to 474747. It'll send you a link to the card that's going to be on the wall that you can pull up. Make a commitment to learn and follow scripture. Gather with God's people for worship. Walk with others in spiritual community. Remove sin from your life. Sing and worship when the music's played. Stay strong when your faith is criticized. Honor the rhythms of rest and spiritual celebrations God's given us. Practice generosity as you work towards tithing. Endure spiritual warfare when you create movement that brings battles. Give enough effort to build something in your faith that lasts. Like, as I thought about teaching you, how do you, how do you rest towards Jesus? That's how you rest towards Jesus. He said, those things, it feels like those things would wear me out spiritually. Listen, here is the strange irony of spiritual effort. And if you don't believe me, go on a missions trip. You can be both physically exhausted and spiritually full at the exact same time. Because when you go spend time on a mission trip, you come home and you have not eaten anything that you've enjoyed for five or seven days and you've not slept in a place that you want to be and you really don't even want to talk to the people that have been on the trip with you for four or five days. But the service you have done, like, has so filled your soul. It's like, I didn't physically rest, but like I kind of rested towards Jesus and the mission of Jesus. And I feel so full spiritually right now. So Jesus' people rest towards Jesus. But they also, number two, rest so that they can receive from Jesus. 
We rest towards Jesus. We move towards Jesus because that helps us live with our soul at rest. But we also rest so that we can receive from Jesus. Look at verses 9 through 14. It says, Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. They asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, if any of you has a sheep that falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the others. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. So there's a spiritual lesson in this object lesson. Actually, a couple. I think one of the spiritual object lessons that we can learn here is that often spiritual buttheads will pick on the most vulnerable people to make their points about Jesus. Like, let's pick on the crippled guy. Like, let's, let's use the most vulnerable people hurting the worst to try to make our spiritual points so that people will think about Jesus the way we think about Jesus. So we learn from the Pharisees. They're like, hey, hey, guy with the shriveled hand. And you know, he's got to be thinking, if I could make a fist, I'd punch you in your Pharisee throat right now. Like, <laughs> like why you got to bring me into it? They're like, Jesus helped this guy or not? And Jesus is like, of course we helped this guy. And he healed him on the spot. See, what we're going to learn is that resting towards Jesus always serves us more than it serves Jesus. Have any of you um, sent a text message to somebody in the midst of an important conversation? And then they begin to write back and the three bubbles pop up. And then the bubbles go away, but no like text comes across. It's agonizing. For people like me anyway. Um, Do you know that Jesus has never agonized over you not texting him back? Like some of us are made to think like that if we don't pray, we break Jesus' heart. Some of us have been made to think like Jesus is sitting in heaven looking at the bubbles thinking, are they going to write? Are they going to talk? Are they going to text? Are they going to reach out? Jesus does not need you to be perfectly fulfilled in his spiritual relationship with God. And he has accomplished his mission on the cross. He says, finished. And a lot of us think, boy, like if I don't reach out to Jesus, like, like he might have a bad day. And like we, we think, again, that how much Jesus loves us is based on how much we engage and interact with him. Right before we started Journey, I was kind of in an, in an accountability group. I called a group, but there were only two of us. An accountability relationship with a guy who helped us start our church. And one of the things we decided to do was read our Bible together every day for 40 days. Um, we just wanted to see if we could go 40 days without missing a day. And we got to the end of the 40 days. I'm kind of mentoring this guy. And he says, like, do you think we can go a whole year? And because I was mentoring him and I was supposed to be more spiritual than him, when he said that, I thought, like, why'd you have to say that? I was like, yeah, yeah, like, if you want to do that, I guess I should do that too. So we got on this pace where, like, every day we were reading scripture together. And I got into a season as we started the church where I went three years without missing a day reading my Bible, 1,095 days. And eventually it became more about counting the days and even spending time with Jesus. It was like, you know, two years and 10 months, two years and 11 months. And I got to the end of three years and I thought, okay, for me, this has become more about not missing a day than actually spending time with a person. So I stopped, but I began to share that story with people about like, listen, you can get really consistent in your Bible reading and spending time with Jesus. And when someone heard that I went three years without missing a day reading my Bible, they thought, man, like, um, do you think that Jesus loved you more after those three years than he did before those three years? And I said, of course not. But I loved him more. 
Like, see, I really wasn't doing it for him. I was doing it for me. Like, Jesus cannot love me more than he did the moment he went to the cross. And he doesn't need to give me a gold star in heaven. Like, he invites me to him for me, not him. He's good without me. I am not good without him. And we have to understand, like, we draw close to Jesus, not so we can prop him up so that he feels important. We draw close to Jesus because he's the only thing that holds us up when we're hurting. Amen? Amen. So like Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, like, if you're tired and if you're weary and if you're burdened, you can draw near to me and I will help you. This won't help me at all, but I'm willing to help you. Guy with the shriveled hand, this isn't going to help me at all. As a matter of fact, this is going to get me killed one day because of the day I'm doing this on. But because you are leaning towards me, I will serve you. Resting towards Jesus always serves us more than it serves him. So we rest towards Jesus because that's how we receive from Jesus. But then number three, we re- Jesus people rest in the work of Jesus. Very particularly in our relationship with God, Jesus people rest in what Jesus has done for us. Look at verses 15 through 21. Aware that the Pharisees were so mad that he healed the guy, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I'll put my spirit in him and he'll proclaim justice to the nations. He won't quarrel or cry out. No one is going to hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. So don't miss in verse 15 what I call the large crowd of ill. The large crowd of ill. Like, isn't that a Beastie Boys album? No, that was a license to ill. One of the greatest albums that came out in 1986 for people who are not Christians, right? (laughs) For those of you like me who... Maybe put that Beastie Boys tape inside a Stephen Curtis Chapman cassette player (laughs) so that on your youth trip you could take it out and put it in your Walkman and everyone thought you were saddling up your horses but you were actually fighting for your right. Yeah, so listen, that was a test that you failed, right? That was a test that you failed. Every time Travis Kelsey scores a touchdown, another Christian school kid goes to hell, right? Like, it's like... Don't play that song. Y'all know that I'm like, you all know Christian school kids listen to crazy music more than the rest of like kids, right? Like Christian school kids don't listen to Stephen Curtis Chapman and Michael W. Smith. That's for public school kids. Christian school kids are listening to everybody we're not allowed to listen to. So license that like you're saying, what? Am I supposed to write any of this down? No. Um, <laughs> licensed ill, album. Large crowd of ill, Jesus. So Jesus leans in here. In many English translations of verse 15, It says the crowd followed Jesus and he healed them all. You say, what does that mean? Only the sick people followed him. Only the sick people followed him. And I think it's important that we remember that Jesus' people are people who should proudly be proclaiming that like we are broken without Jesus. We actually follow him because we're sick. Somewhere in the church world, this idea has come that we are the healthy ones. 
And the people who are not here are the broken ones. And that really doesn't draw a whole lot of broken people to Jesus' people. But what if Jesus' people would say, oh, I, like I follow Jesus because I'm the most broken. I follow Jesus because I can't do it without him. Had someone asked me one time, they challenged me, they said, isn't Jesus just your crutch? And I said, yes, he is my crutch. What's yours? Because when I'm discouraged, when I'm depressed, when I'm afraid, when someone near me dies, I know that one day I'm going to die. When I have relational tension, when things go wrong, yeah, I need something to lean on. I choose Jesus. What have you chosen? Alcohol? Pharmaceutical drugs? Your money? Your toys? Your next marriage? Like, yes, Jesus is my crutch because I cannot walk without a limp. Yes, I am a broken person. You see that, like, Christianity is a large crowd of ill. The spiritual people who didn't need, need him left. But everyone who was hurting stayed. And it says he healed them all. Now, I don't know if you've noticed it, but we are living in our country right now among a very large crowd of hurting people. David Axelrod, who was a, an advisor to former President Obama, wrote an article on CNN that came out the week of the State of the Union, basically asking President Biden, like, hey, like, please don't boast about what your administration has done. Realize that people are hurting. And in that article, he stated the state of America that needed to be remembered before the State of the Union. And I want to throw these statistics up that he gave late January 2022. 72% of Americans believe our country is headed in the wrong direction. 60% have income that doesn't keep up with rising cost of living. 70% believe America cannot. 70% don't believe America can ever unite and come together again. And when it comes to just dealing with the second year of COVID, 75% are burned out, 60% are angry, 58% are worried, 49% are confused. We'll talk next week with Ryan about the mental health state in America. Uh, psychologists are saying that the mental health stress of America is worse now than it has ever been before in the history of our country because of two years of nonstop stress. What parents of children and teenagers are saying, what very specifically people who are taking care of their aging parents are saying, they said the stress levels of our country are at an all-time high. Here is the good news of the bad news on the screen behind me. The prophet Isaiah said, Jesus came to help people like that. Jesus came to help people like that. I love what Isaiah said. Isaiah said that a bruised reed and a smoldering wick, Jesus will be so sensitive with that he'll bring them back to life. Isaiah was basically prophesying that the Messiah would bring hope to broken, worn out people who everyone else thought had no use left in them. See, a smoldering wick could not be lit anymore. Throw that candle away. A bruised reed, once it had become soft in the middle, couldn't be used for anything productive. Throw that one away. Isaiah said, no, no, no. The Messiah is going to come. And the people that culture wants to throw away because they're too bruised, the people that culture wants to throw away because they're too burnt out, those are the very people that the Messiah comes alongside and he nurses back to health. Some of you are here today and you're thinking, God can use everyone but me because I am so tired, I am so bruised, I am so burnt out. I don't think my light can ever shine again. With Jesus, it can. 
You say, I don't think I can ever be strong again. With Jesus, I can. You are a bruised reed. You're a smoldering wick. There's not much fire coming off you anymore. But Isaiah said, Jesus came for people like you. And he came to help you put your life back together. He came to help you live on mission. He said that would bring rest for you. But he said you had to come to Jesus. The Apostle Paul, writing to a church he had started in 1 Corinthians 1, said Jesus came to broken people who probably didn't have a lot to offer the world, and he offered them the world. If you have your Bibles, you can flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If not, you don't have to. But when we talk about Jesus' people resting in the work of Jesus, three things that Jesus did that Paul reminds us of in 1 Corinthians 1, that he says, rest in that, rest in that, rest in that. What does Paul say writing to his friends in the church of Corinth? Brothers and sisters, think of what you were before you were Christians. Not many wise by human standards, not a whole lot of you influential, not very many of you of noble birth. We're just regular people, regular broken people. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And he chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, circle that word. Our holiness, circle that word. And our redemption, circle that word. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. What do we boast? What do we rest in? We rest in the work of Jesus. What is the work of Jesus? Listen closely. Righteousness. Jesus has made you right with God. Rest in that. Your relationship with God is not based on how many times you read your Bible this week. Your relationship with God is not based on how many times you prayed this week. Your relationship with God is not based on how many times you've given in the offering this week. Your relationship with God is not based on how nice you've been to your friends and family this week. Your relationship with God is based on Jesus and what he did on the cross. He is your righteousness. You are right with God because of Jesus. He is our holiness. What is the thing that makes us useful to God, approachable by God, close to God, our holiness? Jesus not only makes us right with God, he makes us useful to God. And because he offers us redemption, that means to buy back. That means that Jesus is the one who helps us belong to God. You don't belong to God because you go to this church. You don't belong to God because you said a prayer one day. You don't belong to God just because you've been baptized. You don't belong to God because you're an American. You belong to God because of Jesus. He's the one who took darkness and turned it to light by purchasing your souls, by by paying for the sins that you've committed, by cleaning you up and making you useful to God. See, Jesus is the one we rest towards because he's the only one who fills our soul. And Jesus is the one we go to to receive from because the shriveled parts of our life, he's the only one who can restore. But Jesus is the one ultimately who helps us sleep at night knowing this world is not our home and the next world is secure because he makes us right with God. He makes us useful to God. He's the one who helps us belong to God. And if you don't know Jesus, man, I'd invite you to know him today. And if you do know him, but you haven't remembered these things, let your mind settle on the truth 
of the gospel this week because it will bring rest to your souls and your relationships, your relationship with God and your relationship with others. What's God said to you today? And what do you need to do to respond? Do you need to move towards him? Make that commitment. Do you need to receive from him? Ask him. He says, if you ask, you'll receive. Do you need to remember that your relationship with God is not on your shoulders, but it's on his? And do you need to live in a little gratitude that you're right with God, useful to God? You belong to God because of Jesus. Whatever God has spoken into your heart, respond as we close in prayer today and leave today resting in Jesus. Would you pray with me as we prepare to close? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over the room, but hearts are open. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you need to understand the God of heaven desires to have a relationship with you that is not based on anything that you will ever do, but it is based on something you can receive, and that's what Jesus has done for you. He's lived the perfect life that you cannot so that you wouldn't have to. He's died the death for sin that you wouldn't want to so you don't have to. But you have to come to him and receive him to receive his rest. If you've never done that, you can do that today where you sit. Heads bowed, eyes closed, but hearts open. You can whisper a prayer from your heart to heaven that goes something like this. You don't have to pray it out loud, but from your heart to heaven, you can just say this, Jesus I receive your rest by receiving your salvation. Please forgive me of my sin. Please cleanse me of my past. Please heal me of my brokenness. Please lead me into my future so I can live on mission for you. Jesus, today by faith, which means I don't understand it all, but I'm willing to receive it. I receive Jesus and the rest that he offers. If you just prayed that prayer in just a second, we'll give you an opportunity to let you know how you can tell us, even an opportunity to pray with someone at our altar time during our closing song, if you'd like to. For those of you who are Christians, what did you hear God say to you today? Are you resting towards Jesus? You have to put forth effort, but that effort will bring you rest and rejuvenation. Are you resting so you can receive what Jesus has for you, that broken part of your life? The bruised reed that doesn't allow you to stand strong, the smoldering wick that just seems like it's taken the light of life away. Jesus comes to rebuild those, not just to remove them. Do you need to give Jesus your hurt today? Or do you need to remember that you're right with God, useful to God, and you belong to God because of Jesus, and you need to just have a time of gratitude for that? Hear what God has said to you today and respond. God, we love you and we need you. Thank you that you make us right with you, useful to you, that we belong to you because of Jesus. We see him, we receive him, and we rest in him today. And Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. I'm